This episode is sponsored by Furniture Box. Check them out in the description below. Welcome to the Ground Floor Podcast, a podcast where we ask successful people exactly how they did it. Our guest today is Sunny Drinkwater, the founder of Well Easy, which is a online supermarket that specializes in healthy foods that also implements environmentally friendly solutions. So thanks for being here, Sunny. Thank you very much for having me. Nice to for the conversation you. as well. No worries. Um, so obviously we know what you do, um, but for anyone that doesn't, do you want to dive into a bit more detail? Yeah, so we are, as you kind of summed up, we're an online so membership store. Um, similar, kind of very inspired by that kind of Costco style membership, right? We set up with a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable to everyone. That's mm-hmm. been the mission since day one. We didn't know how to do that at the start. Um, we kind of iterated through a few different business models and stumbled on this kind of membership online grocery store. So we have about 4,000 products you know, curated by yeah. our, our kind of team in-house. So very chosen for sort of health values and the ingredients mm-hmm. they have. Um, all in one place, up to 35% of RRP um, and delivered wow. to your door. Interesting, okay. And can you give us a bit of a pretense to what you were doing before you set this up with Josh? Yes, so we, um, Josh and I have got a long history with each other. So we've been you know, friends since, I would, I would say sort of nine or 10. Um, played football with each other okay. growing up, so went to the same school sort of thing. Went off to university, and the, the reason kind of for starting any of this in this space is that we both kind of had our own sort of health struggles and health battles, um, which seems to be the case for a lot of people in health and wellness, right? Mm. The irony is that it sometimes takes getting unwell to appreciate just how nice mm. it is to be well. That's very true. So we, we kind of, it was a mix of, on this path of kind of following nutrition and ingredients and, and thinking how we can improve ourselves, but also we were building things at the time. So, um, you know, previously I've had like a positive social media startup that I tried to launch at university. Oh, cool. I had a clothing startup. Josh has had a clothing startup. I feel like clothing is always the one people go yeah, to. I had a clothing business a long time ago. I think I it's, like... yeah, it's a good one to start with. Because yeah, it's yeah. kind of like, simple would be the wrong word. So yeah, kind of had, we'd been doing things, both of us. Um, Josh, Josh's one was quite successful at university, actually. It was kind of like, he'd made these um, kind of, it was called like Celio Tees. And instead of like the North Face logo, it just said Celio. Okay. Um, and he did it for Supreme as well. Okay. It, it kind of really took off on campus. Oh, okay. Um, so both kind of doing various things. And then, you know, had this health journey, which we can kind of dive more into, but realized that it was just far too difficult, too expensive and too confusing to actually know what's healthy, to buy what's healthy and to mm. do that easily. So didn't know where we'd start, but the first business we actually launched was a healthy B2B snacking business. Um, so I'd worked kind of previously in a few B2B startups. So I knew roughly how to get sales navigator set up on LinkedIn. I knew how to kind of get the gist of a bit of a sales funnel going, if you want to even call it a sales funnel. Mm-hmm. Um, pulled on some conversations there and just really simple startup, snacks in a box, okay. delivered to offices. Then the pandemic hit and everyone decided obviously they're going to work from home because yeah, you know, yeah. of because of COVID, et cetera. And we became very quickly, we, we shifted from an ability to kind of connect with offices and kind of share content and share stuff in those offices. We became kind of a one-off gift packaging service that was like the first, the, the last in, first out type perk at work, right? So just yeah, right. like, you know, if you're feeling like you want to give your, your kind of employees something, you give them a snack box. Yeah. And that was what we became. Okay. And we really struggled to make a lot of repeat revenue from it. And we, we kind of lost that connection to what we were trying to do, the mission of right. making healthy living easy and affordable to people. So as that business was kind of ticking itself over, it was profitable. Um, we decided that we would kind of look at other business models in the space and see where we could go with some of the cash we were making. Not that it was making anywhere near the sort of cash that we'd want to make, but it was making some cash. And then we decided to kind of pivot to this membership style model. So with the membership style model, because obviously mm. a lot of supermarkets, you know, mainstream supermarkets like Sainsbury's, Waitrose, whatever, they don't have a, a membership that you pay monthly for. So mm. it's a different model. So can you sort of explain a little bit how that works and what you're paying for? Yeah, so we are, so there's kind of two choices with a membership. You get an annual membership or a monthly membership, but the vast majority, like 98% of people choose annual and there's kind of reasons for that. So 
Firstly, obviously, it's £48 for the year is the annual membership. So you pay that up front, but you do get a 30-day free trial. So you can try it free for 30 days. And what that trial will do is exactly like you say, like it will allow you to be a member and experience what that's like, which is basically you get up to 35% off across the range of products. So some products could be 20%, some could be 30%, some could be 10%, depending on, on what the range is. So you can shop and, and start saving money and see how that looks, which is kind of the main benefit of the membership itself. Um, but it's also that kind of convenience side of the membership. You know, Because we have that membership and we have the money up front, there's a lot of kind of efficiencies we can pass over to the customer. So we can curate the range, we can, and, mm. you know get shipping quite fast we can mm. pass the prices of savings over to the customer etc and we can build a very kind of loyal activist community which drives more awareness and sales through the right brands if that makes sense mm -hmm. so that's kind of why we chose that model but yeah the real benefit of the membership is the prices and do you have a similar model to costco and that you need to buy in bulk to do it that's, that's the mentality we go for. So yeah, that, that tends to be the case when you obviously save people money, they'll, they'll tend to buy more of it. So that's exactly what we try and encourage. And also that's the more sustainable way to shop, right? Mm, it's to sure. kind of buy healthy less often, but buy bigger shops. Yeah. So we're kind of your, you know, you go local for fresh, you go local for kind of meats and things that are there, but you come to us for your healthy staples. So anything, nuts, seeds, could be just specific snacks, could be collagen peptides, supplements, home beauty. You know, we have a, a breadth of the range. Um, but yeah, just your healthy staples you'll get from us. What's the average order frequency of a customer? Is it like kind of, you know, they do a shop once a week, once a month? No, it's a lot longer. So it's about every six weeks. Interesting. Um, every six weeks, but quite a big sort of order size is what we go into. Right. Mm -hmm. And what determines what is a healthy food? Because I'm sure that's quite a controversial topic. So when you say you're a health food store, do you have people saying, well, this is a health food store. Why do you not sell this? And vice versa, this is a health food store. Why are you selling this? You definitely do. Um, and we've tried to, you know, the thing that's becoming clearer over the years, especially in the health space, is it's very personal. So what's good for one person is kind of not as good for the other person. Mm. So the approach we take is that we're kind of a facilitator of what healthy means to you in the best way possible. So we try and kind of stay like a bit of an aggregator, right? And so, so we kind of, you know, we've got people that are gluten-free, some people that want to follow a keto diet, some people want to follow a vegan diet, for example. So whatever their reason is for shopping, we mm. should be the destination for that. Um, but with that, again, it comes the curation and that's where the difficult part comes in. But, you know, we, we look extensively at kind of the ingredients that we have, have on per product. Um, we have like an internal list of stuff that your conventional things, artificial sweeteners and things that we just won't have in any product. Mm. We look at supply chains. So we see if something is, is as sustainable as it can be, both in packaging and also in the supply chain that it has itself. If there is a new brand that, you know, it's kind of fresh to the market, it's trying to do good things, but might need some kind of work on their supply chain side. Yeah. We won't necessarily just kind of get, you know, not allow them onto the platform because we want to encourage that economies of scale that will help them to do so. Um, we look for things to be organic or even better is regenerative. We're believers in regenerative agriculture, but mostly we try and get as many products as we can organic. We're mm -hmm. trying to kind of mm -hmm. keep approach that kind of clean system. But the best way we do it, to be honest, in terms of the product choice is we actually crowdsource a lot. So we get all of our members to kind of suggest products the whole time, oh, right? And if yeah. stuff comes on and doesn't sell well, we get rid of it straight away. So it's just as important we eliminate products as it yeah. is that we kind of bring the right ones on. So that's how we kind of curate that range. And, you know, we're at 4,000 now, probably get to about 6,000, but we want to stay in that smaller curation side because it has a lot of benefits in terms of operations and mm. how you scale. Mm. And how do you manage stock purchasing then? For something like that? So the, the model is kind of, we, we've got a bit of a, a unique blend in our model. So we will buy directly from brands and kind of hold inventory um, of products and brands that are very popular that we know we can sell through. We might want to get a better margin on them and you get a better margin by going direct to, to brands themselves. So we always try and work directly where we can. But in the odd case that there might be a product that maybe doesn't sell as frequently, 
we have wholesalers in which that say if you ordered today, mm-hmm. we would order from a wholesaler, come into us, we'd pick and pack and then we'd ship it back out. So it's kind of a blend of dropship plus yeah, inventory, yeah, okay. if that makes sense. So yeah. very kind of lean in terms of how we how we do that. But yeah, kind of conventional retail, but slight difference with the dropshipping. I'm with you. Yeah. And can you just then take us back to the start of actually yeah. Well Easy itself, kind of how you set it up and, and sort of built the initial sort of infrastructure of it? Indeed. So very familiar story probably to a lot of other people out there in the sense of pure garage startup through and through. Um, fortunately, my parents uh, are very supportive. Um, not so much, well, from a financial sense, they gave us a little bit to start, but by no means kind of massive amounts, but they gave us the space and the support to start in terms of the garage, right? How much did you um, start with on that, just on that point, Avenger? We took out, uh, I think it was 5,000 worth of loans each, so you yeah. get the startup loans. Yes. Um, my dad loaned me 2,000. Um, his boss actually loaned me another 2000 Okay. and Josh's dad loaned him 2000 and I think Josh had another family member that also loaned him 2000 so we both started with I think 9000 each yeah, yeah. Um, so that was that was kind of all the capital we had at the start um, made a mistake very early on in the sense that we went straight to a wholesaler and took a load of inventory of ah, stuff we okay. thought could sell okay. tied up a lot of money in stock um, I feel like that's probably quite a common definitely. problem with a product-based yeah, business definitely. it's like great we've got the stuff we buy the products and then we just sell it yeah, yeah well it, there's there's if you've got a product, it's kind of one thing, but when you've got kind of 3,000 different products that you think are going to sell and some of them don't sell, you're right. just like, oh my God, that's like the only bit of money we had yeah. tied up in stock. So made a little bit of a mistake with that at the start, but still managed to kind of sell through and find stuff that, that kind of sold and didn't waste too much of that stock. But Also, just on that quickly, because yes. obviously given the fact that it's food, I'm guessing some of it's perishable. So it's also like if you spunge your money on that and then it's going off and you're not selling it, then it really is just money that you've burned. That would be the case, except we made the decision for Arion that it's all non-perishables. Mm-hmm. Okay. All ambient, all non-perishables for that exact reason. Right? So longer yeah. shelf life, get less less yeah, wastage yeah. that comes of it. So all ambient foods is, is what we do. So just yeah. again on that on that sort of yeah. mistake that you sort of touched on then, how would you, if you were to do that again, how would you avoid that? Let's say someone else is out there listening to this, thinking of doing setting up a, a business similar to this. How would you actually go about avoiding that mistake and not purchasing too much of the wrong stock in a way? Spending more time looking at models and other people in the space if even better speaking to someone that's in that space um, that's done something similar i would say is probably the, the the best way to go about you know we're we're quite quick josh and i to kind of build and execute and and do things and we still probably would have done that if i went back i still would have started and done it mm. um but i think yeah in hindsight now the first thing i would have done is really got someone that kind of is either built in the space, done something similar, and just pick their brain about it. Because, you know, not to take everyone's words as like advice the whole time, but when it's someone that's quite domain specific yeah, yeah, to yeah. you, they, they yeah. definitely know the little the pitfalls. Yeah. So that would have been the, the first thing I would have done. Um, yeah, and, and then looked at, looked at other models, other models that have kind of set up in the space in similar space. So spend a lot of time listening to podcasts of similar businesses that might be in the US or wherever they are, try and find their founding mm. stories. And kind of see if you can get a gist of roughly how they established that before kind of running into it and, and, and making those mistakes. But fortunately for us, it wasn't too costly. I think we would have clocked if it was like more than, I think it was about 4,000 would be put into okay. stock. Right. But if it was like 10,000 or 15,000, yeah. I think we would have been like, this is probably a bit of a big yeah. upfront <laughs> yeah, investment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So once you've got all the stock, is it literally a case of you build a website and then you're just going to people saying, hey, do you want to pay a monthly subscription to be able to buy our products? Because I feel like that's that must be a hard thing to, to sell from the beginning. So... In this day and age, it's even easier, right? So you don't even have to build a website. You just put a Shopify up. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So we had a, a Shopify website, um, uploaded all the products on there with good descriptions, etc. 
we then thought exactly as you, as you thought. We had the store, we had the stock. It was like, how are we going to get in front of customers? Um, what we soon realized, which still to this day is it's kind of proves true, is that a lot of people shop online for those products because they're quite hard to find in conventional retail anyway which therefore means that Google Shopping is quite a good channel to actually acquire customers through. The hard mm -hmm. chance of Google Shopping is, so we've, we've thrown up some Google Shopping ads. Um, and you know, if you've got Biona coconut milk or you've got Hunter and Gather collagen peptides, if people are Googling anyway, you're gonna kind of drive traffic to the store. The hard part then was the membership. So we had a lot of people coming. We, always, we had a 30 day free trial at the start. Yeah. A lot of people coming through, placing those first orders. Then it was a case of how do we articulate that that membership is going to come out after 30 days and this is exactly what it's for right. um so that was kind of difficult at the start but you know i think when you're starting any business you tend to get some very passionate customers at first and i think even if they weren't at that moment in time had the same shopping habit that we'd want them to or the shopping intention which was like a big order there and then they might have come for just one product they understood what we were doing in the space mm. so they tended to come back after 30 days. So we, we kind of won a few people back that way. Okay. Um, and then we invested in, in improving the flow, yeah. which was the main thing, improving that membership flow, right? Of articulating where that where that comes in. So that was how it started that. And how did you actually build a relationship with those first few customers that you had? So yeah, they came through on Shopify. Shopify is great, obviously, for tagging most journeys. You get, obviously, the customer details. We made sure, I don't know whether that you were allowed to do this or not, we, we kind of told a little bit of a, a lie at the start in the sense that we said we need your phone number in case there's any order issues. Um, the main premise of that was that we I could just call every single person that ordered and just be like, tell me who you are, tell me more about you, you know, okay. what you're buying yeah. and stuff. So that was kind of how we established it. And I think, you know, the first, to this day, probably the first 20 members of WellEasy, like I still have on WhatsApp. So I still okay. message them. Wow. So they're very, cool. Yeah, that's they're very, cool. so we were very close at the start. And I think when, when you have a membership, that's someone that takes out the membership and actually understands what it, what it does and, and what the value of that is. It is a close relationship anyway. Um, so they do feel connected because it's like a buying club, right? It's that mm, sort of mentality. Yeah, it's yeah. like a, to, to some extent, we're trying to build an uprising in the food space, the health food space. So when people understood that, they were quite open to what we were doing. Um, and again, I think another point we'll, we'll come on to, you know, we did spend a lot of time thinking, are we solving a core problem for customers? And I think when you solve that for a customer, they're far more likely to build a relationship with you anyway because they're just so grateful for what you're doing. Mm. So that's definitely how we felt in the early days. Yeah, I think when it's mm. a pain point that you specifically have been through as well, yeah. you know that there's a problem in the market at that, for, for that particular issue. Where do, you think think that, where do you think that most uh, member-based businesses go wrong? Because it's an increasingly popular model. You know, you get monthly yeah. subscription revenue, it's more predictable income, like it's a really juicy model. Where do you think most people in that, in that niche go wrong? Or in that model? I think you go wrong if... Because it's kind of like two streams to some extent, isn't it? It's like you, you, they're paying for the subscription, but that subscription is tied into the value of the actual service you deliver. Mm. Um, and I think what a lot of people do is, is potentially they might get copyright or sales right on how to sell a subscription, but the actual underlying service doesn't do what you kind of say it will do. Right. And I think unless you can communicate that upfront in terms of where that, you know, how valuable that service actually is. And for us, like kind of we just said, right, it's a very simple solution, but we know it's a massive pain point because people in our space, they shop at multiple places to buy these products, right? They're going like high and low. They go Sainsbury's for one, they go Cardiff for another, they go to the local health yeah. store for another, right? Mm -hmm. So knowing that pain point was what made it really valuable. Um, and then I think, I guess the difference between us and, and maybe some other subscriptions that, you know, and they still work well, but for us, food isn't a high margin industry. It never has been. 
we didn't know this at the start. It's kind of fortunate that we kind of replicated some models that we saw, like Costco, etc. And now we know why they did it, which is like the main thing. But food is a low margin industry. When you're also having discount food, it's even lower margin, right? Mm. But the benefit of having an annual membership like we have is that you get a chunk of cash flow up front. So we're actually profitable on a customer after 30 days, like every single customer, which doesn't usually exist in the food space. So it's a tougher sell and a tougher grind, meaning that you need to solve even more of a problem on the, in the delivery and the service side. But when you do, it actually is quite a good model for customers in this space. So it's a slower build, mm. but it's a healthier build, if that makes sense. So I don't know, I think you know memberships, unless that service behind it is of enough value to the customer, perceived value as well, then I think that's that's where they struggle because you get very unhappy mm-hmm. customers that word of mouth just goes down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you need strong word of mouth for the membership. Yeah, very yeah, strong yeah, word yeah, of mouth. No, it's, it's a hard sell. No, I, bet. I, uh, I wanted to touch on the marketing side of things mm. because I think there's a very interesting perspective about the healthy food community, which is that it is typically, you know, you think of place like Waitrose or Holland and Barrett and it is typically, it feels exclusionary, I think, to a lot of people that it's going to be too expensive. Whether that's the case or not, how have you navigated through that from a marketing perspective in terms of finding customers? Do you stick to a certain range? Do you try to make it as broad as possible? How have you tackled that? Is, is So the question is about the, kind of the accessibility side, right? How do, yeah, yeah, about the accessibility and then also how you apply that in terms of the kind of customers that maybe you seek. Yeah, so interestingly, um, health and wellness is a, a notoriously expensive industry, meaning that it often is the case that you are you do get your kind of your your yoga goers, your Pilates goers that can afford to do this, right? People that live in London, right, yeah. can afford mm. to live and spend on healthy food. And to be honest, when we started, we didn't know who the customer would be. We kind of assumed that may well be the customer, right? The kind of the people that could have that generally afford it, even though we had the savings. What we soon found out um, by kind of understanding the market a bit more and understanding what we were doing is that there's this whole heap of people today in the UK from many different income brackets, you know, various different income brackets, postcodes that you just wouldn't even kind of expect or, or believe that for one reason or another, and it usually is kind of a very strong reason, they will shop and look for healthier products. And you know, you've got your conventional kind of, as I say, your yoga or your Pilates guy, but then you've got these pockets of people that they might even have diabetes, they might have cancer, they might have a gluten intolerance, they might, mm. for whatever reason it possibly could be, they're making better choices for their life. And that really kind of varies in terms of the income bracket. And they became quite fast, and it's still to this day, they're our strongest cohort customers, right? So we really did have to make WellEasy accessible or as accessible as it can be to many other people, which is why early on we introduced this match membership program. So for every member that signs up and pays the membership, we actually sponsor a free one for an NHS worker, low-income okay. families, students, teachers, wow. or armed forces veterans. So that that's was a really, kind of that's a really nice touch. I love that. So that was our way of kind of thinking, look, we'll give you the savings as a member. We'll make the money from, from the other people that can afford it for now. Mm. And then you guys get this year for free to kind of explore it by, you know, when you like. And not by any means that they buy as often as other people, but they still have access to, to do so. So that's definitely one way. Um, and then I think, yeah, you're right, like curating the range, right? You quite... The, it's kind of a blend between you want to have specialist products that are quite hard to find elsewhere. That's the value of us. People come back for those products. But you also want to have products that are kind of healthier switches to what is the convention. Yeah. So your organic milks or your plant-based milks or your coconut milk or your pastas or your rices, right? And making mm-hmm. those swaps easier. So having good savings on those products has allowed us to have more people that maybe come from different income brackets, et cetera, to afford those products and, and kind of place the order for those shops. So that's really kind of who the, the, the customer demographics are. But of course, we still have a very strong, you know, quite affluent London-based community that are into their yoga, into their health, just the same as anyone mm. in this market. But we've really tried to stick to those two two groups. I'm with you. Yeah. One of the things I actually wanted to ask you about was um, Costco's model 
is is purposely set up in a way whereby they constantly rearrange their store mm. so you go in and you whatever you're looking for isn't in the same place that it was last time mm-hmm. you went there so it means you end up walking around and you end up purchasing things you don't actually intend to buy when you go in how do you set that up from an online perspective because that must be quite difficult to replicate well it is it is it is and it isn't difficult it is difficult because at the stage we're at we are still quite early on that we don't have all the data on which products are going to sell through even if you were to do those sorts of activities so even if you were to switch it out and put one product high you could technically be ruining the experience for members that want to come back and they want to just buy that product that they like and just kind of bang it there and then and get it ordered very quickly and obviously online is a convenient shop right when you go to costco it's kind of is about expiration the store is an experience right and it's very hard to replicate that online but in terms of the transactional moving products around it's far easier to do right you don't have to kind of actually move stock yeah. around you just put move a panel of products around and kind of rejig the order mm. we can kind of upsell downsell cross sell you know there's, there's a lot of things you can do from a tech perspective online mm. but yeah it comes down that the hardest part is that experience of, of having that almost in-store feel and support for what you're doing and kind of the discovery side. And I think fortunate thing about us is that because we do have members that are are committed to coming back and buying, the discovery side is a big part of what we do. Mm. So they will come back, they'll look at our What's New section, they'll look at the stuff we recommend and we click through and they'll look at all the different things in their categories. And to be honest, a big thing we do that other stores don't, which again plays more into the convenience side, whereas Costco is price saving but it's a bulk price saving obviously you still drive there you still play, make a big order you still take that order home with you right they don't do any real I think they do online now but they never used to at the start but online is convenience as I say so one thing we do is we have about 50 different filters so if you're keto but plant based and got a kid that's got a gluten allergy you can filter by all of those things and find all the products that actually are for you right and kind of matter for you most so there's this balance with, with Well Easy where people like to discover but they like to only discover what's right for them Mm. And that's where kind of health is really specific. So that that's what we've optimised for. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that makes sense, I suppose. As you say, from an online perspective, it's, it's actually relatively straightforward to, mm. to make that happen, isn't it? Do you have any tips for people that might be able to optimise their online store if they are selling a kind of consumable or some sort of service online? Do you have any sort of tips for how people can improve their, their online storefront? Yeah, def- definitely. I, th- I mean, we're still doing it all the time, right? Mm. So like, there's a lot of learning still still to be had. I think... Depending on the solution that you've got, so we're we're a we're a retailer, right? So we have quite a still a smaller range than better most, but it's still a big range, four thousand products. So what you tend to get in terms of habits um, as a business like us is basket driver products and kind of basket filler products. So your basket drivers could be like your protein powders or anything that someone tends to kind of come back and want to shop with you for. The more that you know, the harder to find purchases, yeah. the stuff that drives the basket to some extent. And then you've got your basket fillers. However, you know you want to optimize as much as you can to show those basket drivers. Because that's obviously where someone will perceive instant value of the membership. So if they come to the store, they see that your category image is this brand of protein. That is a much easier sell for them. Because they're like, I recognize that brand. That's a basket driver. I buy that often. And yeah, I save 20% with you guys. That makes sense. Mm. So for us, that's kind of how we looked at those optimizations. So definitely, I think good product images and understanding where the customer sees value is a big one. And then obviously the basket fillers come later on in the journey. So, you know, your coconut milk, your rice, your pasta, they can just add them as they go. That's definitely one way that I would I would look to do it. But again, it really does depend because you also want to have self-rule of every product. So you don't want to kind of just over-index on, on those products yeah. because you leave yourself quite vulnerable. So you want to kind of reinvent it and keep it new. And I think definitely content is, is, a, is a good way to do that, especially when you're curated. So for somewhere like us, where like trust is in every product that we have, content is quite important to have around it. So more often than not, if that's email or if that's on actually on store, like product information, 
it's quite important to optimize for and kind of show that you know your stuff you've chosen the product for a reason and mm. that builds the brand and the loyalty of what you do so there yeah. are ways we've done it yeah because on mm. content i was going to ask obviously because you have a lot of ethics around what you do how has that impacted your kind of content cycle on, on social media and, and your strategy behind that and i guess also finding your brand voice as well massively so we're still doing work on this like every day and we've actually just kind of overhauled our content strategy the last month to really kind of harden it so there's a lot more content to come out soon for us as i mentioned before we're, we're a facilitator of what health means to people so we have to stay quite neutral would be the wrong word because I, I believe you should stand for stuff so we stand for no ultra processed foods no junk foods you know kind of clean ingredient food is what we kind of stand for as, as a whole and i think that has to as you say that has to carry through on content so for us we kind of have like three different tiers that we look at so one is obviously the brand mission you know what we do as a, as a brand and a company right so we go direct to suppliers we skip the high retail markups other places are going to charge you 20 percent on top of this product on top of retail price we're going to do the opposite right, right. And try and save you money so communicating why we exist is, is a big one for us and we're trying to do that more now in terms of the brand story why we have the membership is a big one the second is again as you mentioned health information right the space is so confusing and everyone has so many opinions mm -hmm. and which often cloud stuff. So how do you navigate that becomes right. very hard, but we just kind of sit with what's kind of grounded in fact is one that we do. So if, if it's like talking about collagen and the benefits of collagen, you know, we only kind of say stuff that is generally out there and we have nutritionists in the team that will do all of that content okay. for us, right? As well as our affiliates, we have a massive affiliate network of nutritionists that will help write content. Mm -hmm. So kind of trusted educational health content um, and then the last one is is with the brands themselves, right? And kind of bringing those brands on board that we do, the journey of, of kind of why they're here with us, why they've chosen to be a part of that mm, and yeah. how we can bring those brands into the communication of what we do is the other way that we communicate our values, but also use the power of those brands to communicate our own values. Mm. I'm not sure if you have this information, but I'm curious to know, do you know why sort of the main reason why the majority of your customers shop with you? Is it the discount? Is it the fact that you have ethics that they want to support companies that they believe in? Or is it is it purely just for the health factor that you have the most choice? Do you know kind of, do you have that kind of data? We do, and we do a lot with our customers. So we, we get a lot of data back. I would say to you, the, the main reason there is two reasons, but the main reason people come to us is that we are the one-stop shop for health and wellness products that mm. there's never ever existed in this market before. And that is really simply just because they don't have to shop around at multiple places to do so. Because when you're doing that, you're paying shipping fees for an online brand, you're going to a store down the road, you're going somewhere else for this product, right? So that is the main reason people shop with us right now is that convenience aspect of we are the first ever one-stop shop they have. The second is the prices. So they come for the products all in one place and then they stay for the prices. That's kind of how we, we pitch the, the, the value of what we do. Yeah. And, the, and the prices kind of keep them in. And then obviously we've got some exciting plans ourselves of own brand and stuff that we're doing, which brings even more value back into to this space on the price side. So yeah, yeah. that's really how it is. Come for the products and stay for the prices. I was going to ask you about the own brand. Yeah, because that's I'm really, really I'm exciting. about that. Okay, so you're developing yeah. your own your own products then alongside what you're selling at the moment? We are at the minute, yeah. So kind of in, the, in the pipeline. Um, so I can't say incredible amounts just yet. But yeah, uh, yeah some, some very... Some good products, a mixture of kind of your staples, but your staples for less. Uh, good quality, yeah. but much less price. And also then some quite unique products in this space. Okay, yeah. I'm with you. Um, and how are you, what, what did you just sort of learn through that process of actually developing your own FMCG brand, if you like, uh, alongside the, the products that you're already selling? Yeah, so we're still learning it. So still quite early on to the, to the launch of my brand. So still learning a lot from it. Two things I've learned. One is that um, I'm grateful that we started as a retail proposition first is like that blend because we have a lot of data for one but also we have distribution which is like one of the biggest things right True. because you go to a start a new brand 
and you buy, I don't know, you try and negotiate an MOQ, say it's a thousand MOQ. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you've got no channels to sell that on, there's no chance you're getting mm. through a thousand, right? Yeah, if yeah. the shelf life comes down and down and down, you're kind of screwed with that. Yeah. So I'm grateful that we kind of started and held off of own brand until until at this point and start to look at it. And we'll still build it slowly. You know, by no means that we've got anywhere near the distribution to go launching like 100, 200 products overnight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've got some distribution to launch, say, 10, 20 in the next kind of year or so. Yeah. So that that's what we'll look to do. But yeah, it, simple conversations. You know, fortunately, we can see a lot of the supply chains that our brands have. So we can see sort of where they're getting stuff from or we can speak to the brands themselves, right? And be like, okay, where did you go to, to do this product? Who did you speak to? Um, who was the supplier that you'd recommend sort of thing? Have those conversations, tell them what we're doing, try and get them involved in, in, in the mission and the vision of what we're doing, you know, why we need good margins, why we need to, to kind of have that upfront to make this model work and to mm. pass the savings on to the customers and just getting people to kind of buy into the vision of what we're doing and the, and the potential of it. Yeah. You know, as I say, we aren't just going to be a one product brand we're going to be a multi multi-product mm. brand right yeah, yeah. and that's that's kind of the the long-term play so yeah it's kind of getting important to that low moq so low moqs yeah. is minimum order quantity yeah. um and then yeah good margin is the best thing to go for right go on. no no it's just very quick do you ship exclusively to the uk or are you global we are uk at the minute we do we do the uk we do channel islands we do do northern ireland as well um and we're looking further afield but just the uk really for the minute okay mm. why do you think no one's done this before and I know that sounds like a really obvious question, but it's, it sounds like a relatively obvious gap in the market when you mm. think about it, in that there's one place you go to for all your healthy food. It's a similar model to the biggest food retailer in, in the world. And you think it, it just makes it just makes sense when you look at it objectively. So why do you think no one's actually done, done this already? So I'd be lying if I said that no one has actually kind of tried this and done this, right? So there are some US companies that do, do something similar. I think the US... The US are far more attuned to memberships in terms of customers, right? You've got Sam's Club, you've got Costco, you've got yeah. all the different kind of membership clubs out there. So they get that, that value and they have bigger kitchens. They're used to buying in bulk. Everything's bigger there, right? So they, they get the value of that side of things. So the US is, is quite well versed in this. And there is a, a, a player in the US that's done something similar in the health space. So it was a, a big inspiration for us. Um, so we looked at them a lot. There's some guys in, in France as well that have done a good job, but more kind of sustainability focus as opposed yeah. to just health. Um, but obviously we have a focus on sustainability, but health is also the, the priority for what we do. Um, but I think it's not the easiest model in the sense that you really have to have consumer habits in the right place. People need to see themselves being able to order frequently enough and placing big enough orders to actually make it worthwhile. If you were to just launch, you know, I don't know, if you would just launch a could be even a, a clothing brand for example right with a membership model it gets a lot harder because you don't see yourself ordering often enough and if mm -hmm. you do you just be thinking i'm going to be spending so much stuff on things i don't actually need or want yeah. with food you have a very good loyalty because you get through food right you eat yeah, food yeah. every month so True. food is a great space to build these membership models in but i think yeah i think it's 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 not as easy as maybe the us because you do have customers that are used to it so there's a lot more education that needs to go on here but you just have to be valuable enough that the membership can work so that's the, the biggest thing we kind of set out from day one so you know people in the uk don't have the biggest kitchens and maybe they don't stock up as much as they do in the us per se but at least we know that in the health space these are products that are hard to find elsewhere so they do buy more of them online if we can save them money they'll buy even more of them online mm. and you know if you build a convenient enough service they're going to turn online for, for most things in, in the health space so it's kind of a an ironic twist, but I think what makes the UK even better for health and this model is maybe we can't get the basket size that the US can, but at the same time, you have a much more fragmented health and wellness market here than you do in the US. Okay. It's quite well catered for in the US. You know, They have a lot of bad food. Mm. They have a lot of healthy food, right? And there's a lot of solutions out there. In the UK, 
supermarkets are so dominated by Unilever, P&G yeah. and the big players in the world, right? So if you're a brand new health and wellness brand, you are going to struggle so much to get on those shelves. And even if you do, you're going to be muscled down to the bottom shelf because you can't afford the promotions. Someone else is going to copy a similar version with even worse ingredients from Unilever, etc. So yeah. there's actually a bigger opportunity for a health and wellness proposition. It's just whether the membership can work well. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a second to talk about our sponsor for this episode, Furniture Box. Furniture Box is an online furniture retailer that makes awesome products for everywhere from your bedroom to your office. Now we actually had Monty and Dan, the co-founders on our show. That's how we met. We loved their story and we hung out with them afterwards and we knew that we wanted to work with them. And here's the thing. One of the biggest issues I have whenever I've ordered furniture in the past is that certain big name furniture companies, not naming any names, will charge you a fairly large fee for delivery. And even then that delivery usually takes a few days, if not longer. With Furniture Box, not only do they offer free next day delivery, but they're now planning on extending their delivery cutoff even more so that you can literally order a dining set as late as 8 p.m. and be eating dinner on it the next day. So to put it simply, there's no one in the UK furniture scene that's doing anything like what they're doing. And we're thrilled to have them as our sponsor. So click the link in the show notes and check them out. Now back to the episode. Going back to the very beginning, uh, in terms of actually getting it off the ground logistically, how does delivery work? Because this is the bit that I'm always fascinated by. Because if I think about the idea of, well, I mean, for example, the idea that you had, I think, well, someone makes an order in Dunkirk. Mm. Is that a case of, you know, for, for seven bags of nuts? Is it a case of you literally driving there yourself or finding, you know, how does how does the logistical side of it work when you have when you don't have economy of scale. Yeah, so that's, again, that's where it gets hard, right? And that's where it's, it's not it's not the easiest margin to play with when you're shopping online uh, or when you're kind of fulfilling online. But no, it's kind of quite simple in the sense that order comes through, usually we'll have stock of everything that, that, that is in that order. You pack it all together in, in one order and we use the conventional systems, right? So the UK being quite a smaller nation and quite good with delivery, to be fair, they, they have cracked, you know, the big supermarkets here have cracked frozen delivery. They've done quite well with deliveries. Mm. So we use Yodel as a courier. We've been through all of them. We've been through DHL. We've been through DPD and tried mm. all of them. But at the very start, you know, to, to come back to, to sort of how we started, it was just that order would come. We would go onto UPS. I would type in on UPS person's address um, and batch print all these labels at the end of the day. I think we used Parcel to Go was like the aggregator. Okay. And that would show you the cheapest I options. I used Parcel to Go. Yeah. I, used, I used to sell stuff on eBay and I used Parcel to Go all the time. Exactly that. Yeah. So just it would show you all the options, right? And then you just kind of plug it in. At that point, you don't even think what unit economics are. I'm not even thinking. I'm like, I wasn't even thinking that at the time. Um, and you just send it out. It goes usually next day. Um, you pay for kind of that sort of service and usually get to the customer. But we had a very big issue at the start is that we sold a lot of plant-based milks. That was kind of a bestseller for us. We were literally like praying every time a plant-based milk order went out because they would just get damaged mm. every single time. Oh, really? So okay. you take it to UPS because so, someone would order like 10 yeah, milks yeah. in one, right? So you take it there and I'd be like, fingers crossed. I'd be like, let's just hear that you got there the next day. That must be and, so frustrating yeah. it's completely out of your control that as well. The worst and yet, thing. the customers don't blame you for it as opposed to the delivery driver. That's that's tough. Massively. And you're just shoving, you know, paper towel, <laughs> yeah. anything you can to yeah, try, and, yeah. like, try and protect it. But yeah, we had to cut it. We had to cut plant-based milks at the start because right. it just it causing too many issues with delivery. You mentioned obviously at that level, you know, because of just getting the product out, you weren't really thinking about unit economics or anything like that. Mm. Is there an argument, because we've been talking about this recently, is there an argument that at the, at the early stages of a business, you almost can make the choice to try to forfeit profitability if you can just to try to get the word out as much as possible just to get as many orders through yeah i think so 100 percent. i can't yeah. down to a model i guess in a way yeah it, it, yeah again it depends on the model if you're if you're tech for example like of course that's, that's going to be the case yeah. because you're not going to make revenue for a long long time yeah. so you're going to be paying salaries or trying to do things so you're going to be burning money so that's that's why their model exists in the way it does i definitely think in a business like us um a more experienced or seasoned entrepreneur or people in this space 
you could have definitely made a, a financial model at the start and kind of roughly projected where things were going to go and and done that in advance and kind of roughly know that if you get to x amount of orders you might get this sort of margin and and plan that out but again you know i think would we have done it differently maybe i'd have spent a bit more time on the financial model but i think you have to just get going to kind of get started mm. and yeah you probably are going to lose money even at the start you know anyone else that's done a business in this space will lose money at the start and and that's why you kind of raise the money is to kind of lose it to figure it out and, and yeah. kind of learn from there so yeah. fortunately we're in a, a much better position now yeah. um still not per se like profitable but again not not far off did you have a business plan when you started i'm curious no business plan actually we had a like a well, I laugh now. It probably it is a business plan in some extent. That, that's what business plans used to be. Yeah. No, it's not. It's actually opposite. No, it's actually opposite. So we had a. It was a university competition. So we made a business oh, okay. plan. So we had like a eight page document, right? But I'm laughing more because you don't even use those really today. Like especially raising investment, right? All you need is a pitch deck and a financial yeah, yeah. model and some other stuff to go. But you don't really need like a an eight page document. So we did have a business plan. Not that any of it was true and any of it was yeah, yeah, probably yeah. accurate in terms of financials, but yeah, we did. Um, and but I didn't know at that time about pitch decks and raising money or anything like that. That was all kind of brand new, and that had to be learned as you went. Yeah. Mm. What's something that people don't know about the supermarket industry? Are there any dark secrets or things that people would be surprised to know? The the darkest secret, which isn't isn't a secret. When you tell people, they get it straight away, but they don't think about it. But the supermarkets are never never going to be healthy until those big giants of the world decide that they want to go healthy and for them it makes no sense to because it increases their costs there's not enough demand for what they're doing they can't kind of sell through what they're doing right and it if when you've got shareholder profits in mind it's far more profitable to yeah. pedal cheap products that sell more and you make more margin from so i think it's more just the case of, of realizing that these supermarkets and they they are slightly getting better i know tesco have got this share action stuff coming in but again that's not from tesco that's from share action that have pushed that but they're very very susceptible to profits promotions marketing spends right and all the other stuff because margins are low in supermarkets right they make most of their profit from all of these other kind of promotions and, and where they where they can get sort of extra bits of money they'll take it and i think as i say most supermarkets for a long long time are still going to be dominated by P&G, Unilever, any of the big brands, Nestle, you know, and, and they're still going to push for market space. And what, what happens is that, as I say, a new brand comes along and it could be, for example, let's take Hunter Gather or someone that on our store that, that sells really well, it could be mayonnaise. They'll come onto the shelves and they're, they're very clean mayonnaise, no seed oils, no, no kind of nasty ingredients that are in there. And Unilever will just bring out a, a different type of mayonnaise pay for promotion to push that mayonnaise all yeah. the way down the other side mm -hmm. of the shelf and eventually Hunter and Gab will get delisted because mm -hmm. their sales aren't good enough for Tesco to actually make profit from wow. and their products are more expensive than, than Unilever's would be anyway yeah, so yeah. It's, it's a really really hard system to break uh, and I think the only thing that's going to break it is the consumer mm. Are you and optimistic? I am optimistic. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a naturally optimistic person. So yeah, I am massively optimistic, but there is a hell of a lot of education that needs to go on because the education needs to increase demand. And that's not necessarily for people like us to be making more money, which would obviously be amazing, but just general awareness of ingredients and nutrients and, you know, prioritizing that in our food system. It's just been completely lost. Like you go to, you go to European countries, you go to places like France, et cetera, and they, they really do choose organic products and things like that. And it's not even like, not sitting there thinking, oh yeah, spiritually organic's better for me. It's just like, that's ingrained in their culture to value the food that they're mm -hmm. eating. Yeah. The UK just don't have that value. No. We don't have the same value on, on the food and the ingredients and the food chain and everything else. And we just talked, I just got back from Japan, right? And Japan is like 
absolute advocates that they don't even let you bring food into the country because they don't want it tarnishing their food system. Right. They're not. I didn't know that actually. Okay. Very strict. Wow. You know, wow. and their, their beef is all their own. They, they don't even have their, their own meats. Their, their pork mm. is. You know, we talk about like in our space. Obviously, grass-fed meat is a big thing, right? Yeah. Grass-fed meat is, is obviously good quality. Is a given in Japan. Right. It's all grass-fed. Like it's not. It's kind of all been that way, right? Yeah. So, I think it's just you know in the UK you really struggle with that. And I also think value. there's a bit of a stigma in the UK, probably in, in America too. But I think there's definitely a stigma in the UK when you when you talk about health in terms of food. There is a bit of a thing of like you do get the impression of like okay, you know people call you like a yoga guy or like a this guy, and probably doesn't help that I've got a fucking man bun. But I mean like you know I you think there both. is yeah I know that you came in. Um, if anyone's I, a stereotype, it's me. You know? <laughs> that's the thing. But that's the thing. I, I yeah. thought that when you came in, I was yeah. like, okay, there's there's two of us now. Yeah, yeah. But um, but I feel like that like when it comes to diet and stuff like that, I do mm. think there's like a bit of a stigma where the minute you start to be like, hey, I'm thinking of being a bit healthier, everyone's like, oh, here he comes, Mr. You know, Pilates or- Yeah, there is now. Yeah. yeah. And there is, and it, yeah, and it becomes kind of like a virtue signaling mm. sort of thing, yeah. isn't it, right? That tends to be the way it goes. And I think it's a good thing to some extent because I think what happens is that people become genuinely appreciative when they become healthy, right? To, to, to an extent, they appreciate what they're doing for themselves. They become more- respectful of themselves and, and how things are but then it goes once further that like they're almost bad to say but they almost feel above you because you don't choose that way you don't choose to live healthier mm. you know you don't make those choices that i do but i know that i do it's kind of like i make the, the right choice so i think that that is definitely a stigma that exists and to be honest i think that is a thing because you know for a long long time it's only those that could afford to live healthy would afford to do so so it's always been exclusive and it's always been like a little cliquey thing um but i think i do think that's changing but I, again, yeah, I think as you mentioned, you know, we need to break that because there is science behind this, right? And I think when there's facts behind anything, it's not about someone's opinion anymore. It's about facts. And that's what we need to get to in the health space as much as we can. So yeah. there are a lot more advocates now that are generally coming out with factual information about gut health, about the microbiome and stuff like that. That's not just like my own agenda of, you know, I've eaten low carb today, you know, and I've lost weight and I've got a six pack, look at me. Yeah. It's like, no, genuinely, we, our gut health is important. This is why eat, eat for your microbes and kind of it is the value. It's the value of the nutrition, I think, is, is what needs to, needs to be in there. So, yeah, the stigma needs to be broken, but there is a stigma. Massively. Yeah. yeah. Do you think there will ever be a day where we will have a definitive idea on what diet is? Or do you think that is even the case? Or do you think there will always be people who will be better on a meat based diet and there will always be people who would be better on a vegan diet or whatever it might be? 100%. Yeah, it, it's personal. It's, mm. it's, it's, I think the future is, is massively personalized. I think that's the only way you'll really know what, what's good for you. Um, and it's something we've known for years. Like if you go back, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a big classics nerd. But like Hippocrates and nature saying that like all disease starts within the gut, right? And one man's food is another man's poison. They're like his two biggest things. And this was over two thousand years ago. He's talking about this. Like we've known for a long time that like it's very personal. And I think now that you know migration's been the way it is for for years, and everyone is kind of in different places around the world you're going to have more and more mixing of, of DNA. You know, I did my DNA recently and it's like, I'm 12% French and 5% Scandinavian, right? And you think- I really want to do that actually. I still haven't done that, but I, I really want to do the, but the ancestry. Yeah, and it's, it's really interesting to learn. And yeah. especially if you do the health ones as well, they're quite useful. Okay. Um, but again, there's a lot more to, to be explored in that. But what are the health ones? What do you, what, what they'll give you, so there's certain biomarkers now. Yeah. Um, so they can understand that if you've got kind of a gene that could express as like, for example, mine might've been like macular degeneration. So I had a gene that, although my eyesight's good now, told me that I'm quite likely in older years that my eyes will degenerate quite quickly um, and it's, my family is similar because yeah. my mum and dad they've got quite bad eyesight in, yeah. late, in late years so they can tell things like that they can tell 
to be honest, there are risks now they can tell um, biomarkers for cancer. A biomarker is basically just like, yeah, how likely or the propensity mm. that this gene could express in a various way. Mm. Um, and if you've got certain genes, they can see if, if mm. that's likely. Not to say you're going to get it. They're not your destiny, mm. but it's understanding what your, your makeup is. And yeah. this, this is the thing. Everyone is so different. And like, as I say, like if I'm 5% Scandinavian, 12% French, rest Irish, UK, etc. Like all of these people had very different cultures and food and grew up in different ways and just different biological makeups that meant they needed different foods. Mm. Also um, with the biomarkers thing, like I don't even know if I, if I don't know if I'd want to know that. Well, I was just thinking that and then I think actually, do you know what I would, I personally, I would rather know if there's going to be something that I can do my best to try and but I mean, prevent, if, I, I, but I mean, if it's something you can't down. prevent, if I mean, I, I don't know with prevent, the, the yeah. eye thing that you mentioned. I yeah. don't know if, if that's preventable or if it's not preventable or if it's even a big deal or not. But, so, but the idea of taking a test to find out there's something potentially medically wrong with me that I'm not going to be able to do anything about. Yeah. And now I'm just living with that info. Or being told that the likelihood of you getting cancer is higher further down the line at some point. Yeah. That must be, yeah, a very difficult. Mm. It would it would be so. difficult if the, the information given was this is going to happen. But that's not the case. It's, yeah. it's like this is this is just your genetic makeup. Yeah, yeah. You've got pregnancy for these things. There's there's millions of things, right? Oh my God, if I went down that list, um, I'll die tomorrow of like a thousand <laughs> yeah, diseases, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So like they're not all going to happen. With a pinch of salt. You have yeah. to take it with a pinch of salt, and you have to just yeah. Just, I think just be aware of these things, kind of live your life in accordance of yeah. that. You know, if you realise that, I don't know, you've got a history of family that have really high type two diabetes at quite early age, and you don't even need a test to tell you that. Your family history could probably tell you that. Well, you you focus on your diet more, mm. and you probably then stall it until eighty. Yeah. At which point, like you know, mm. it's probably a lot of people get diabetes when they're eighty, sort of thing. Yeah, so yeah. It's like you know, there, it's it's good to know these things. But yeah, I get that there is also a scare to it. But I think you know, I'm I'm a big I'm an optimist in medicine, and I'm an optimist in nutrition, and yeah. I just think the next ten years are going to be so exciting that I would rather know now if I was going to have cancer in two years' time because I believe there's going to be a treatment for it or a cure mm. for it, right? Yeah, sort yeah. of thing. So like, the, the, you know, medicine is should be going at the same pace that your awareness is so yeah, i'd rather yeah. know those things as yeah. someone who runs a company that's based around healthy products is there or are there specific best sellers like are there certain health products that are super popular because that could be an indication of their effectability you know their effectiveness yeah um, definitely um yeah definitely there's, there's a there's a mix right um you get very good brands in the space and <clears throat> whenever there's a good brand obviously that that can sometimes taint how good a product actually mm. is but still, they're the good brands for a reason. Their content's good. They probably have touched on something. But I think branding is a big one in D2C and you get some very good branding. So that can obviously help. But no, there are products that, that genuinely do have an impact. And I think that's, ironically, obviously, even even my friends, you know, they're getting more and more into their health now than before. But when Josh and I first started, to them, a lot of this was just like, well, it's just fads, right? That's the biggest yeah, yeah. word in health. It's just like, that's a fad, right? It's, it's never going to be a thing. Yeah, yeah and it, it does happen. And, and don't get me wrong, there are fads for sure but no there are there are certain products you can take that you generally feel a difference from like for, for me creatine is is a supplement that even when i was younger i was just like i'll, I'll never take that it had all these stigma attached to it. i thought it was really bad for your kidneys people told me that you get like kidney failure from it, all this other stuff to me i take it with water in the morning it massively i do feel it in my brain function really and if anything i I've, every workout i've done since might just be psychological but again it does make me feel a little bit more full and i've noticed the difference and i pay attention to things like that so that and even collagen is another one collagen i've got a friend that had quite bad skin 
and he's been taking collagen peptides and he would never really touch many health products before yeah but he just takes collagen in his cup of tea just has yeah. a couple of times a day yeah skin is so different really wow. so different yeah interesting yeah we yeah. had darcy laceby on actually the founder of absolute collagen and she was gave us a, a few of the, the very high quality of, of collagen mm. yeah wow. yeah it was interesting to learn about mm -hmm. that yeah yeah it's, it's very good quality and, and, and they're genuinely they are the case even but like even yeah food i mean i'm obsessed with it but food does have power like even again when i was at japan you have barley tea after you have a meal right and like I didn't realize it's got really high melatonin in it. So melatonin obviously to help you sleep. And like I, again, I thought, oh, just the tea is not going to do much. I was so tired. <laughs> I, I was gone. I honestly, and it's not just like psychological. I was actually saying to my girlfriend, I was just like, I'm exhausted. Yeah. I was like, I feel, but in a nice way, I feel like quite mellow and stuff. Okay. Like, it was just a relaxant. What was it called? Bar barley tea. Barley tea. Barley yeah, tea. barley okay. tea. I should try that. Actually, it's nice. It's just melatonin. Yeah, basically, you can just pick up melatonin. Just from source, yeah. Um, so okay, so let's say so guys our age, right? Yeah. Let's say they wanted a, someone who's completely out of shape, hasn't taken their health very seriously, and mm -hmm. now they're at a point where they want to actually look after themselves and take their health far more seriously. Where, what's your advice to to them in terms of where do they start and what are the sort of the basics that they should be doing to help them get in that direction or go in that direction? I think. Um, so for me, exercise is a, is a staple. I think you know there there is some evidence now. Even there's a there's a good book by a guy called Peter Atia that's come out recently. Mm -hmm. Called I think it's called what's it called Longevity or something. I'll find the name, but I can't remember what it's called. Or Outlive, I think it's called okay. or Outlast or something like that. And again, great. a big summary, yeah, of of that book is just like exercise is so important to healthy living, and it's like one of the most like, fundamental things. That's that, that's not necessarily like a massive workout, right? You don't need to go and just like chucking weights about and doing all that you just need to increase the, the exercise you do so for example one recommendation i would have it definitely on the exercise front then we come to the other stuff is and i've been doing this a lot lately is what they call kind of zone two cardio um mm. again something peter atia talks about so zone two cardio is defined by like being able to talk whilst you're doing while you're, run yeah, whilst you're running right oh, so okay. yeah so you could be like you could be fast walking you could be running you could be cycling mm. but you're still able to talk while doing it right and zone two is, is the most studied zone of exercising and it's massively beneficial to both longevity but also to heart health and to heart function and things like that right and uh even you know even i would class myself as, as fairly fit fairly active but i've been prioritizing zone two for the last like five six months ish and my resting heart rate from at night has dropped from say like 44 45 down to about 39 in terms of at night and like it really does have an impact when you do it so it, and what does that mean by the way for some i, I don't i wouldn't know what just the difference in a general heart general health again another like just a bit less sort of stressed or a bit less, less, less stress yeah, yeah less okay. stress just just a healthier function you know 39 beats per minute so yeah. it's moving better and, and, and acting more efficiently sort of thing so that's all it is really but yeah zone two is just one example yeah. but just just getting more active and, and prioritizing exercise is by far the biggest one because i think that also makes you want to choose healthier because no one wants to come out the gym and just eat at McDonald's. Yeah, like, that's yeah, just never. It's, it's never so a true. thing. Yeah, like, I've true. never. Yeah. I don't, I've never heard anyone say that. Gym right? is actually the best thing for a diet. Yeah, it's the best thing. It, for it, it, I also yeah. think there's a massive. I was saying this to him the other day. I feel like there's a massive element or massive link between the gym and also mental health as well. Massive. And I think that's a huge because I've noticed yeah. that myself. I mean, yeah. I, I know that whenever I go to the gym, I do. I do feel a lot, lot better when I come out of it. Hundred percent. And you can be doing, as I say, various things. It doesn't need to be one thing. But like, you just you would never come out feeling bad yeah. or feeling like you've done something bad or wanting to go for like some some junk food sort of thing right you kind of you do get that that serotonin boost yeah. that you want to reward yourself so that's definitely one thing the second thing is don't i wouldn't overcomplicate it too much with with food at the start um i would definitely listen to other people in the space there are some very like good people that whether it's like on trend or not i think people associate themselves with other people right and that that becomes a big part of their identity so 
podcasts like Andrew Huberman, mm. Peter Atia, you know, a bunch of other people out there. called Outlive. Outlive, yeah. yeah. Many other people out there that you can listen to start to learn what they're saying mm. and it feels personal to you because you're listening to this little thing and it becomes part of your identity, right? You, know, you would have read like probably Atomic Habits by James yes, Clear and stuff, yeah. right? And this whole thing about, you know, be become that person that you want to be, but like tell yourself you're that person you want to be. I am the sort of person that will take a cold shower. I am the sort of person, you know, and more of that kind of thinking and logic is really important because that will build a sustainable habit which doesn't exist sometimes in people. They kind of go mm. waves of going to the gym, not going to the gym. So definitely listen to things. And then on the nutrition side, I, I would keep it really simple to start. Like optimize for protein. You know, yeah. I think especially as guys, you mentioned about obviously men, for example, but men and women, but as guys, you know, optimize the protein is good for you. It's good for testosterone. You know, red meats are good, but lean meats as well. But also you can find other forms of protein if you don't eat meat. Mm. Um, but definitely I would optimize the protein. Most healthy cultures have a very good high protein diet. And the second, now more than ever, that I probably wouldn't have said before, but like optimize for gut health. Okay. So like eat a lot of fermented foods, you know, and kind of see how that makes you feel. Um, you know, take more kind of fibrous foods, a lot of plant variety. So mix up a lot of plant variety. Um, colors are also good when it comes to plants. But then I think if you're someone that's busy, um, I'm sure you guys are similar to myself, like there is a lot of room for processed foods. And now processed tends to have like a bad term, but like there's processed and ultra processed, right? Mm. Most food you eat is processed. A jar of, a tin of olives is a processed food, mm. right? So, you know, optimize the processed food because they are there for convenience. And so whether that means that you take a protein powder, you know, instead of having protein from source, or um, you decide that you're going to take a protein bar or a snack yeah. bar, or you're going to take um, kimchi in a tub rather than making your own, etc. Like it's all, you know, optimized for convenience as well and kind of allow yourself to, not slip up where you can so what protein you, and gut health Go what are your thoughts on the sort of meal replacement companies and just on that point of having stuff on the go so companies like Huel, for example what what are your what are your thoughts on that because me and him have slightly divided opinions yeah. on it so i'm curious to know mm. what given that you're in the industry what your take on a business like Huel, for yeah. example is well i'll tell you mine but i want to hear yours as well okay so we're here. yeah so, so, first, so yeah, yeah no yeah. So, so on my yeah. side I'm, yeah. I'm a big advocate of the business i've i've been buying their vegan protein powder for months now if not maybe up to a year yeah um and i love and i've tried their other products but i'm less keen on the other products i used to have their like meal to go in a shake if you like the liquid meal um and that i used to used to enjoy and it tasted great and it, it did actually fill me up not to the point of a proper meal but it was enough to give me what i what i needed at that mm -hmm. point in time um those are the only two products i've tried the other ones that i'm less keen on but i'm quite a big advocate of the business but i know that there is an element of needing to sort of masticate your food to actually get the process that you need to do that which mm -hmm. i know that he's sort of been hammering home to me as well about it um but yeah overall i'm a big advocate yeah that's kind of he, yeah he kind of made my point which is essentially that i i'm not a huge fan of it because i don't think we should be encouraging people to liquefy their food and i think that mastication is mastication just to <laughs> just, just to reassert, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. don't take us off youtube please um i do think that is i do think that is incredibly important and um and i think it's underrated and i do think i think yeah you need to chew your food and you know there are, you do lose nutrient absorption from what i understand i've spoken to a few doctors about this i am by far from an expert i'm a moron on this subject but from the people i've spoken to yeah you do need to you you get more nutrient absorption by chewing your food I'd echo the points. Okay. Yeah, generally yeah. that that would be my view as well. Yeah. I, 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 um, as I say before, there's a difference between ultra processed and processed foods, and I think if you're looking at the ingredients list, there's not the worst things in Huel. Maybe there's a couple of things that you would question, but again, a lot of the stuff the jury's out on, right? There's there's stuff there's certain sweeteners that 
you know, a band here in the UK, but in the US they're, they're using a lot of stuff because there's a lot of good, good science. So mm. monk fruit is an, is an example of that, but you can't have it here in the UK. So there's a lot of... Do you know why that is? Um, monk fruit. Monk fruit, yeah. Monk fruit I've sweetener. heard of monk fruit. Yeah, I, 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 again, I think maybe just because it's quite a high... Um, Sugar content. Not necessarily like sugar content. I, I don't know if there's other things in it, like an acidity content or whatever, that may well have been linked to like, I don't know, various liver okay. issues or yeah. something like yeah. that, right? So th there'll be something on it. It's the same with, um, there's a there's a, there's a a new type of alcohol in the US called Kava, K-A-V-A, that comes from like the Venetian islands, or the, the Venuan islands, sorry. And uh, again, it gets you drunk without the hangover. So huh. it's like, it's a, so okay. they've got Carver bars in the US, right? And things like that. Okay. But because there's, wow. I think, someone in Europe potentially that was drinking it, consumed it, had kidney failure, um, the same as most alcoholics or people that abuse alcohol would, right? But it's been banned here in the UK. So it's okay. it's like, I think regulation is kind of slow on those things. But coming back to the original point, most of the ingredients in here I would go with, again, I would just say the point about mastication. Mm. Not, not, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, But yeah, just chewing food is, is important. I think that's how we've done it for years. And I think there, there's, again, there's a lot of science on um, certain cultures when they do liquefy food, the, the whole jaw will change shape and, and okay. everything changes, right? So you need to use those muscles. Yeah, like yeah. mewing and stuff like that. Mewing, mewing like is that. a yeah, huge yeah. thing. What's thing. mewing? Mewing is essentially, mewing, mewing is essentially, it's uh, Dr. James Mew, but essentially it's the idea that the way that you chew your food and the way that you position, it will essentially affect the, Sort of your, your jaw almost it molds your jawline, into a, yeah. Okay. yeah and it will show people who have weak jaw lines compared to who have strong jaw lines and essentially up until the age of 25 your jaw is completely like malleable essentially i'm taking like to say i'm saying this very loosely but um but essentially he recommends like chewing very hard gum like for kids when they're young breathing through your nose as opposed to breathing through your mouth and you breathe through your mouth it weakens your jaw all this kind of stuff and you and you know i've seen you know videos of people where they talk about how they've done mewing in the before and after and stuff and it is remarkable I really mean, you have people with okay. with just the worst jawline and then they look like fucking someone on hollywood or something yeah, it's yeah. crazy interesting yeah. okay. um i wanted to ask you about your opinion on because uh, this is something i've wondered for a long time um supplement pills in terms of things like you know uh cod liver oil magnesium vitamin yeah. d the kind of pills that people take on a day-to-day -day basis half the time i think you know people say you know as long as you have your main three you know you have like omega-3 you have vitamin d and maybe magnesium and or you know vitamin c um and then some people that are just like it's all bollocks like it doesn't doesn't really make a difference you don't notice a difference whatever and i feel like for one if i'm being really honest with myself i take vitamin d i used to take more but i pretty much take vitamin d um omega-3 um and occasionally like vitamin c if i if i want a bit more of an immunity yeah. kind of boost i don't other than the vitamin c i don't really i don't feel any different i just mm. kind of take it because i've been told that i should just take vitamin d because we don't get enough vitamin d in the uk especially because we don't yeah. have enough sun but i'm kind of just taking it i don't really know if it's working or not because i don't i don't take like omega-3 and go mm -hmm. my brain's working better yeah. what do you think on that um so there is room for supplementation, I think, in modern day healthy lifestyles. Reason being is because I think, especially again, I feel like I'm saying bad things about the UK, but the food system has become less nutritious. The food we produce is less nutritious, right? And there aren't as many nutrients in food as there used to be. So I think there's definitely room for supplementation because you're not going to be getting all the needs. Go on. Why is that? Just quickly, why why has the food become less nutritious? Over 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 farming, right. um, just the yeah the inefficiencies have gone in agriculture, kind of mm -hmm. mass producing corn and other things turning. Yeah you know, just turning topsoil wrong is, is kind of cause it. So again, what this is why we're quite big advocates of regenerative agriculture, right? Because mm. the topsoil was just been absolutely destroyed and that contains most of the nutrients. 
so yeah so that's there's a lot of nutrient deficient food that you're not going to get as much in today so i think there is room for supplementation when that is the case but my honest answer would be again you're not really going to know until you do any of the the kind of the the data stuff right and the wearables or the kind of you can do um glucose monitoring or you can do the blood samples that you can send off to labs now and they'll come back and tell you if you're nutrient deficient i think there's some great companies out in the us one is called elo health which does monthly blood samples of blood work that will show you the impact that the actual supplementation is having right so they would get all of your data they'll see what you're actually deficient in they'll then put you on a protocol of supplementation and then you can see it then but i think until you get that because because it's at the cellular level right so it's the difference between you thinking i'm going to take vitamin d and i'm going to feel energized or buzzy today the difference between no you're going to take vitamin d and maybe in 40 years time you don't get cancer that you might well have otherwise got or you don't mm. get some disease that's kind of the difference that it will have it's not necessarily in the day-to-day -day, i'm going to feel amazing which is what marketers will push out in terms of supplements you know they'll, they'll push yeah, out yeah, that, yeah. that instant benefit yeah, and it's yeah. it's never that i've never i've never taken really a supplement and felt like an instant right. benefit or a difference unless they're kind of stronger than just your kind of eventual supplements yeah, yeah, right yeah. no i haven't um, either i mean i take multivitamins every day but i don't have that feeling although yeah. actually ironically i do have that after i have fuel i do have a small kind yeah. of yeah a small yeah a small buzz not, not a buzz but you just feel a more your cognitive ability feels a lot better at that point once i once i have that i don't know exactly what ingredient it is that goes into it but i i do notice it every time i have it could, that be, it could, it could well be the case could be well be the case for, for you but yeah and until until you do some of those tests that's going to be the best way to show so the blood work tests mm -hmm. and there's omnos here in the uk which is a great one okay so we partner with omnos so omnos, yeah, yeah. omnos are good okay i have that with nicotine and with coffee as well yeah again so strong, slightly Wait, stronger yeah. 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 taking taking a stimulus yeah. no but um, i was i was saying this to a friend of mine the other day because he he uh i i don't really drink coffee but occasionally if i'm really tired or i haven't slept well or i need to wake up a little bit for a, for work or whatever and i have an espresso i just have one shot of black coffee it actually i find it very beneficial and i don't get any of the negatives and i was talking to a friend of mine about this who's way more knowledgeable on this stuff and he was like yeah if you use something like coffee as like a kind of tactical micro drug when you need it you get loads of benefits and you don't really have any downsides from it. You don't get the lethargy or the withdrawals mm -hmm. or the headaches or anything like that. So I found that to be quite quite beneficial. Some people would say, so there's a guy, um, I think it's Michael Pollan, I want to say, is a specialist in, in sort of the psychedelic field. But coffee can actually be a, I think they say coffee is, is a psychedelic. Really? Yeah, if, if you go for, without it for long enough and you That's take a, enough well, okay. of it, it can be a psychedelic. But it's, yeah, a bit of a, a strange one. But I agree with you. It's, a lot of these things should be used ta tactically. I think... A far more educated person than myself would probably tell you that like coffee, nicotine, etc., is probably a different pathway to like vitamin Ds and, yeah. and sort of mm -hmm. where they come in. Um, but yeah, it does get harder with supplementation because you're just like you don't feel some real impact or benefit from it. But mm. it still is having a benefit. You just mm. might it's on the cellular level. Mm. Going back to the business, can you just talk us through the fundraising process and sort of how you found it, what you've learned, and what you think the the benefits of fundraising are versus trying to bootstrap it yourself? Yeah, for sure. So. If we go from, um, so hopefully this connects the story. So we go from garage, Shopify store, packing yeah. orders, right? And shipping those out. So again, that was scaling up. We got to about, maybe about 300 members. So that were on kind of our, our annual membership, just just from home. Orders were coming a little bit um, too much to handle at that moment in time. So two things happened. One is we looked for fulfillment companies. So we were like, okay, we can't keep packing this ourselves. Um, it's quite unproductive to do so. Take a lot of time out of our day. We're probably doing a shoddy job of it and probably costing a lot, a lot of money yeah. and wastage. Look for fulfillment companies, found an amazing fulfillment partner that we'd used in the previous business with the snacking business, the Snackcess one. 
so we, we kind of already had a good relationship with him so we we're like look this is this is what we're doing now this is the kind of the new concept can we come and, and do this with you so that was like the first thing so we moved that out again probably paying a little bit of a premium for that for that service but again saved us some time but then we realized okay probably about five five k of cash in the bank and kind of teetering on profitability and break even if we were even paying ourselves at that point i kind of remember and then we decided okay we need to try and raise some money for this thing you know it's, it's kind of a similar model has worked elsewhere um, let's see what we can do in terms of raising money so we first like a lot of people we thought okay um how do we raise money tends to be the thing so i asked around a few different people who kind of previous startups that worked out how they'd done it then we did the conventional do we have any friends and family that have yeah, got yeah. any any money at all to kind of put into this business and we only found one person which was one of josh's uh, family friends that fortunately had a little bit of money to put into the business at the start but other than that we, we i don't come from that sort of background so we didn't have any people around us that would put in 10 20 k's of little small investments right which you need at that moment in time from angels so we had a, a little bit from this family friend of josh's but then that was enough to kind of keep us ticking and then i said all right we're going to go out and do the full round so by that time just on the on that how did you know you're ready to take on or do the full round i guess two things one is i probably i didn't to some extent but at the same time i thought you know what everyone else seems to be raising money at some point we're going to be raising money and we're growing, we've got revenue, we're, we're generating revenues, we've got a business model that's kind of been done elsewhere. So like most of the proof points that I think someone would be like, is this gonna work? Are kind of have been done. And it's quite a simple model, right? You, you explain what we do to people and they, they either get it or they don't. Yeah. It's not like a brand new like AI business where they're just like, oh, how does that work sort of thing. So um, I think it was just a matter of time. So whether it was then or, or four months later, I think all that meant is that if we raised then, I could probably take a salary, Josh take a salary and I could probably move in with my girlfriend to, yeah. to live there and then we kind of carry on building. Um, so that was, that pretty much informed it. And then fortunately, um, quite early on in starting the business. So it, I think it was in that, during that kind of process, I was obviously sitting on LinkedIn day in, day out, just searching angel investor in the search bar, okay. finding a bunch of different people. And Julian Khaled came up, who was one of the co-founders of Made.com, okay. which was a big, obviously, yeah, yeah. furniture giant. And he had in his bio that he was interested in health and wellness founders for a business. So I messaged him on LinkedIn, didn't think too much of it, managed to get a coffee with him, went and sat down with him, me, Josh, and him. Turns out, before we could even start speaking, he started to pitch he had this idea that was pretty much well easy oh, really? about yeah healthy health uh, groceries yeah, membership model it. how could yeah. that work right so we were kind of there we're just like well look like we're we're young we're dumb yeah, you know just yeah, come, yeah. And, like, yeah, <laughs> come yeah. and work with us so i think he yeah he obviously became quite fond of us um took a punt on us gave us again a bit of money to start and then also came and joined us as a chairman um in the company as well so he's been with us kind of since the start so he became very useful in that yeah. fundraising process so the next step then was again back on linkedin any connections that Julian had, anyone that I could connect with in yeah. that space, health and wellness, angel investor in health, angel investor in, in yeah. wellness space, anything like that, connects on LinkedIn and just calls after calls after calls. Mm. Fortunately, if we managed to get on them, um, you get, I must have done about 400 calls. Mm. And we raised in that first round about 400,000 pounds in total. Yeah. And how did you value the business at that point? Like that. Really? It's yeah. really, yeah, it's, hard, it's very hard to know. And I think, my God, it, back then, very different to what you get now. If we were starting out now. Um, I actually, to some extent, I actually think if we were starting this now, we, we would probably have to be profitable from day one and grow it in a different way. Okay. Um, but the market was different then. So just said, look, like we, I think we initially went out with a 2 million valuation and then we had enough demand and, and interest that we said we're going for 2 point, I think it was 2.4 pre-money, I think we ended up with. Um, but again, it's just just numbers. With the LinkedIn thing, what are your, what are your um, 
I don't know, what were your experiences with that? Because I feel like on the one hand, I, I feel like sometimes when I'm on LinkedIn and I see messages come through that aren't from people I'm connected with, I feel like I just disregard it almost like a promotion on Google. Mm. But then at the same time, I will send messages to people and I will expect them to get answered. Yeah. So it's a kind of a dichotomy. It doesn't really make much sense. But like, did you find much success with that? And do you have any tips there's for a, it for people that might be using LinkedIn to, to kind of do cold outreach? So there's a few things that, that I did. And again, fortunately, Julian was, was very active with us um, at that moment in time. So LinkedIn is, yeah, it's a hard one to navigate. It's, it, it is very cold and there's a lot of crap on there that people just disregard it and throw to one side. You have to make the message interesting from the start. And I spent a lot of time kind of trying to perfect the, the copy. And what I, what I eventually boiled it down to was that a simple, like really simple, maybe two sentence paragraph of like, hey, um, my name's Sonny, co-founder Well Easy. Um, currently 80% through our first round of fundraising, you know, and even if you're 60%, you say 80%, right? Or you drive more FOMO that way. 80% through 400K committed or 310K committed. Um, membership models make health, just really, really condense it, really simple. And there and then people, yeah, yeah, there and then, and people that are actually interested are going to be like, actually, okay, yeah, this sounds interesting, but keep it vague, but just keep it exciting. So you want, yeah, you you want the the traction going of the round. You want a bit of description about where you are. We'd love to talk to you if you're interested. No worries if not. I always finish with no worries if not because then it's just like we don't need you. It's like mm. you need that sort of thing. That's not a, that that's we, a we, good tip actually. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. we did need them. So we would love um, to have you on board, but if not, go fuck yourself. Yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but really, if you want to come on board, that's fine yeah. too. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that that was kind of it. And then the other thing that I did with Julian, um, and again, fortunate if you get some some right people around you that really care and want, and want to do with you, is that Julian and I spent a lot of time that I would find some of those tools where you could find someone's email um i can't remember the name maybe like, oh, we, we used apollo. apollo there's apollo and there's one called phantom buster as well i think where you can kind phantom of extract buster. emails and then there was, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got it you got it all right nice cool and then there's, there's, there's an even better one <laughs> there's an even better one um i'll send you it after i can't remember it now but if i can't remember it now it's not going to help people listening uh, i'll have to find it but it's a really good one okay and you just type in so you put in someone's linkedin url yeah. and it comes up with their email address but it also will check how viable that email address is. So it will check if an email has been uh, sent okay. to it in the last two months and right. how active it yeah. is. So you get a very active email address because okay. a lot of times it can bounce otherwise. Yeah. And I can't think of the bloody name, but I will, I will if you think about it. So yeah, definitely let us know that. I'll, I'll let you know that one. Yeah. But anyway, so we collated a bunch of these email addresses yeah. and we decided that we would try and get hold of these people as much as we can. So Julian sat down with me um, and he then kind of leveraged to these people and said, look, reaching out, um, well, I'm chairman of Well Easy sort of thing. Um, and said, I managed to get your contact details, X, Y, Z, yeah. right? So he kind of got them, he got them from me, yeah. but said he got them kind of from his network, was kind oh, of how he yeah, did it, yeah, yeah. um, and managed to get call, it would CC me in, we'd get calls set up, he would come on the calls with me, like he was almost like a third co-founder yeah, at the start, yeah, yeah. Um, and he would jump on those calls and we'd do it, we'd do it that way. So just having someone with a bit of credibility um, was useful in getting those Interesting. Yeah. intros back. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. it does. I think saying that, it's coming from I got your details from someone in my network I think that's actually quite powerful mm. yeah just, the worst thing is when they go oh cool who and you go yeah, nah, yeah. it doesn't matter does yeah, it so let's yeah, go on cool yeah. 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 focus yeah. on the yeah. product of course if you can get a warm intro it's always the best yeah. Yeah. Like, like, if you, someone can intro you so always look and think like um, so there's two things we did um, you can obviously find VC websites and see sort of who they invested in but you're only going to get like the bare minimum you're better off going on company's house so for example let's say you wanted to start a podcast business and there might be another podcast agency that's raised money or a podcast business that's raised money or some other media business, go on company's house, find the confirmation statement of that company and you can see all of their list of investors. And if you know anyone at the company, 
then you say hi I just wonder if you can intro me to one of your investors there okay and that's the best way to do it like, that's, you a, get that's a real gold nugget that's a gold nugget doing it actually yeah. that's interesting that's um, the best way to do it. Sunny at the end of every interview we like to mm. ask all of our guests the same question obviously as you know we focus on the practical um, so for anyone out there that might be thinking of starting a business or might already have a business if you could give one piece of practical advice so something more tangible and actionable what would that be so I've, I've said this a lot of times, but it's the same thing and I'd always say it. You have to do something every single day that makes your idea seem more real than the day before, right? So people overcomplicate the long game. They want to jump from zero to, to 10,000, right? When the first step needs to be zero to one. So what can you do today that just makes that idea seem more real? It could well be you drop a business plan. It could be that you record a podcast just of yourself introducing the podcast, right? And get a mic, right? Or just buy the mic, it's the first step, right? Whatever you do has to be a daily action that makes it seem more real because if you lose that momentum, you'll kind of lose the, the stopping part for one. But two, you ju it just has to be a daily thing. You have to make it small and just do it. So for us, snacks in a box. Order the snacks, order the boxes, get in the garage, sit on LinkedIn, that made it more real, right? We had the stock then, we had mm. to move it, otherwise yeah. we just kind of lost out. So, you know, you, everything you do, every action you take propels the next action more, but just do something every day that makes it seem more real in your head than the day before. I love it's that. It's a really good piece of advice, I like yeah. that. Really great, really like um, that. that's so helpful. Uh, dude, this has been an amazing conversation, man, and it's a really cool company, and it seems like, you know, your head's clearly in the right place, and, and I think it's really exciting. So honestly, man, I wish you all the best with it. Uh, this is your moment, you can uh, plug middle cameras over there, um, yeah. or, or straight directly in, in front of over there, where yeah. people find you. You can come and find us at www.welleasy.co.uk, or you can find us on any socials at well easy uk um, and come and join take up the free trial there is also an offer uh, we do 10 pounds off for your first order so when you come over to well easy take up that offer try it see it save money with it see what our mission is all about and then decide if the membership's for you and we welcome anyone that wants to join nice and simple guys another amazing conversation as always if you did like the video please make sure to subscribe we need to get the subscribers up and turn post notifications on we've got some amazing conversations coming uh, and obviously rate us five stars and review us on all of your audio streaming platforms if you are listening as always um but sunny drink water thank you so much for being here man thank real you. pleasure thank you very much thank you for having me really awesome yeah, my pleasure